Steve Rossi, lead pastor here at the Gospel Tab. And if you're visiting, I just want to echo the welcome and say welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. And Gospel Tab family, it's always so fun to be together uh, in this way. Um, so I think the Holy Spirit just preached my sermon for me during worship and communion. And um, that's how he talks sometimes, right? In echoes, sometimes because we need to hear it more than once, other times to confirm <laughs> that it's him. But um, we'll, just, we'll just take it as this will be like a double portion, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but it certainly is confirmation, whatever else it is, because uh, it's definitely, uh, you'll see that Psalm 32 that David crying out in desperation, hey, when I didn't confess, I was just so miserable and weighed down. But when I came to you, there was freedom found in you. And that's what today's sermon is about in large part, anyhow. Um, so last week, Brooke preached on 1 Samuel 26. And if you were here, remember that that sermon, she talked about David waiting on the Lord and not taking vengeance on his own. Seeing God perform a miracle in the way that he spared his life. And, um, and so then it broke, went on to say that David would never see Saul again. And so now we're in chapter 28. <clears throat> but the reason that he won't see Saul again is because David goes and hides in the land of the Israelites' enemies, the Philistines. Um, and it's because he knew someone there named Achish. Achish was the son of the king of Gath in the land of the Philistines. And so David goes there with his 600 men, and he pleads to Achish, Dude, like, can I find refuge here? And Achish is like, if you're an enemy of Saul, you're a friend of mine. The Philistines hated Israel, and so essentially he let him stay there, and Saul indeed couldn't, couldn't get him there because he was in amongst the Philistines. And so it is the darkest hour in Saul's 40-year reign. You'll see that clearly as we read together in a moment. Um, it's a dark hour for Saul uh, because... Saul, the Philistine attack of Israel is imminent. Samuel, the prophet, has recently died. And Saul is not hearing anything from God. And so that's where the story picks up. And if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we're going to read from 1 Samuel 28, 7 through 19. It's on the screen behind me. Um, let's read out loud together. It keeps us focused. And, uh, hey, there's power in the Word of God. So as we release this Word, His life uh, is ministering to us. He is the living Word. Amen? So let's read out loud together. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself putting on other clothes, and at night he and two women went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death?' 
Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your enemies, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. I uh, thought I'd make you guys work a little bit too this morning, so I wasn't the only one who had the... Uh, it's a strange passage. It's heavy, huh? Heavy passage. Saul here has consulted the Lord through prophets, priests, and dreams to no avail. He says, the Lord has departed from me. But I wonder if it's not that Saul has departed from the Lord. But um, Saul is in great distress here. As he says, and we know that Saul did not generally trust in the Lord during his 40-year reign. He kept taking things into his own hands, and I keep rehearsing that with you, right, as we go back into these passages about Saul. And the reason that I sound like a broken record is because Saul just continued to not repent. And so here we find ourselves again in this passage in the darkest hour of Saul's reign. The Bible says, trust in the Lord and you will be established. Trust in the prophets, and you will prosper. And Saul was far from being established at this point, right? And far from success found in the Lord. And you know, sometimes God is silent to those who do trust in him, right? We sang about waiting on the Lord, uh, or Kiara led us in a time of waiting on the Lord. And as we trust in him and wait on him, we wait on him um, for what he wants to say, for what he wants to do, right? And in the waiting... He is with us, transforming us inwardly. 
in the waiting, God is strengthening us with joy. And, um, and so, and yet we may not hear from him. He may be silent, but he's working in the waiting for those who trust in him. There are other times, right, where he has told us what to do, and we have not responded to this yet. And so there's silence because uh, as we seek him for something else, because he's kind of like, well, you know, we need to pick up where we left off with your response <laughs> before we can move forward uh, with anything else, right? And then there's the third type, which I see in Saul, is that he's not hearing anything from God because in his heart, he has completely departed from God. He's so deceived in what the scripture calls hardened of heart that he cannot perceive or hear from God at this time. And God is after heart change always, right? Whether you're a king or not, he is after your heart. And he wants your heart. And guess what? He didn't love Saul any less in this moment. But Saul had stopped coming to him. Saul had not repented, and God was still there. We just sang it, right? Come to the altar. <laughs> the Father's arms are open wide. This was the Father's heart toward him. Is he not the same yesterday, today, and forever? Was he not the way we know him to be now? Was he not the way that is represented by this table? Right? His arms are open wide to Saul still. It's who he is. He can't deny his nature. And yet Saul has departed from God. And Samuel says it again to him, right? Uh, he says that because you didn't completely destroy the Amalekites, uh, your kingdom is departed from you. Now the Amalekites, you may remember from the first first Samuel series that we did last fall, the Amalekites are the descendants of Esau. And East, like their forefather Esau, they had rejected the covenant promises of God, and they wanted to destroy those to whom they belonged, namely Israel. And so God said, so Saul, I want you to destroy them <laughs> completely, utterly, because of their heart's intent and their rejection of my covenant. And so the, the threat, though, is actually this kind of existential threat, really, it's way deeper than the people Israel, right? Because what the Amalekites actually were threatening was the covenant promise to everyone God, every nation God wanted to bless in the promise he made to Abraham, father of Israel, right? He wanted to bless us with the covenant promise of redemption, the plan of salvation that would come through Israel, namely Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Jewish man. And if he, it, the Amalekites destroyed Israel a thousand years before Christ came, we would be without hope in the world. We certainly would not be in this room this morning. And so when God said, destroy the Amalekites, that was the depth of what that was about. And Saul didn't do it. And so, you know, just like God, his plan won't be thwarted, and he just finds someone else who will. Right? So it's not like God was fearful. <laughs> it was just Saul had the opportunity. Hear this for us, anointed ones in Christ. Saul had the opportunity to partner with God in this work of the ministry, <laughs> right? 
Now, it was war and bloodshed, and I'm glad that's not our ministry today. <laughs> and there's mystery in all of that, you know, in those days of war uh, as God's people fighting for their covenant uh, to be upheld. But, um, and so, this was an opportunity that Saul had forsaken, and Hezekiah would eventually utterly destroy the Amalekites and that threat against this plan of redemption for our salvation. So, um, the second thing Samuel says to him is that you're an enemy of God. And the Bible says two basic things in the New Testament about enemies of God. Well, Old Testament too, I think. But um, it's one is that they are unbelievers. You know, that those who are not in Christ are enemies of Jesus less, unless they turn to him, right, to be saved. It also says that God opposes the proud. He actually comes against those who are proud. And the reason for that, right, is because in pride, fundamentally, you're going against God and his ways and his will and his nature. And that was the case of Saul. As I said it before, Saul could have repented and turned to God. But the challenge, the warning for us in this about pride, right, is like we see in, in Saul, he wanted to take things into his own hands. And that's a temptation for all of us, right? Is to uh, take control of things, maybe in fear or pride. And the Lord wants us to trust in him, to wait on him. He has a way for us that's forward. And will we receive his word to us unless our hearts, uh, or will we harden our hearts in not listening to his voice? Now, in utter deception, Saul goes to evil spirits for answers. He goes to Endor. Endor means fountain of the circle. And this fountain was a physical fountain in this town that magicians would actually change the shape of it. And so, a little fun fact there for you, but I think the point in referencing that is that this was a culture, a place of darkness. Right? I mean, this was like a cultural norm where these magicians would practice. And Saul, going against his own law, and before that, the law of Moses that forbid uh, going to spiritists or mediums, he goes as a hypocrite and in deliberate sin to this medium in Endor, right? And as he goes to her, um, you know, many renowned writers believe that uh, Samuel did appear supernaturally, uh, when he came up, and as you read it, and the reason they believe it is because he appeared before she practiced her arts for to make him appear. He came up, and she was surprised that uh, the report was that Saul would be dead tomorrow and that the Philistines would defeat the Israelites. And so it's this strange passage uh, for us. And... Um, my question is, though, and I referenced it earlier about the Father's love, is if Saul had humbled himself and prayed, and not just gone to God and every other form of uh, mediums for answers, would God not have heard from heaven? Would he not have forgiven him his sins? And would he not have even restored him? Right? Like, the consequences of his sins may have remained. Maybe the kingdom's taken from him. Who cares about that? He would have restored his heart, right? Recently, a, um, 
there were uh, allegations of sexual misconduct of um, a church leader who I looked to. And it's very grievous and very sobering for me right now. Um, this just happened. And it's very grievous, obviously, because of the trauma faced by the victims, the women, um, in those allegations. Also, it's grievous for their families and for the spiritual family that he led. Imagine the, the pain and the spiritual confusion and all the questions and pain regarding that. Um, sobering, too, just as a believer in Jesus, um, to guard my heart. And as a leader of Christ's church, <laughs> to guard my heart. Um, and so I bring this up, right, because these things don't happen overnight. That much I know. There's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't know about that story. There's a lot still coming out. The point is that these things don't happen overnight. That the hardening of the heart starts as a action of not listening to God's voice, but it turns into a path of destruction. And so I want to remind us of what I'm reminding myself in these days. To view myself with sober judgment, it's on the screen behind me. To humble myself before the Lord as a posture of the heart. To remain in close relationships within spiritual family. To be current with confession with friends I trust. And to be grateful for Jesus and this spiritual family. Take a picture of that. Hold me to it. Let me hold you to it. <laughs> um, I love you guys, and I want for us to walk um, in the freedom that is ours in Christ. And, uh, and I'm confident as we move in this, and as we continue to follow him. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And um, I just love what God's doing among us. And, uh, and so, but back to Saul, you know, his path of destruction is inward. I'd mentioned it before. It's called the hardening of the heart. The hardening of the heart is simply when you hear God's voice and you do not obey what he has said. And as I said, as, he, as his heart was hardened over the years, it became a pathway to destruction. We hear God's voice through the Bible, through each other, through prayer, on mission together, right? But it's not a question of if we hear God's voice. It's a question of what will you do about it when you hear it, right? Will you obey God when he's speaking to you? And that's the gospel question we like to ask around here is not just what is God saying, but what are you going to do about it? And so we must position our hearts and our lifestyles in a way that stays near to God to hear his voice and to follow him. And the enemy is good at subtleties. He's good at subtle deception. And believe me, brothers and sisters, this much I'm sure of, that a stronghold is not his goal. But the stronghold is unto destruction. The goal is clear to steal, to kill, and to destroy God's anointed ones, you and me. And that's not something we need to fear, but we need to view ourselves in sober judgment. <laughs> and Saul's hardening of the heart started as not doing good, 
Um, but then it moved into jealousy and fear as evidenced in his hunt for David over time, right? And then you even see, like, he is bent on murdering David. His heart is so hardened. And now he is going to evil spirits to search for answers. He's utterly deceived. And the great irony of it is the greater the path of destruction to the outside observer, the greater the deception and less of where is the one who's on the path. And so that's what we see in Saul here, right? Now he's just utterly taken over at this point. And, um, and you know what might be worse still than the news reported to him that he's going to die tomorrow? You're like, what can be worse than that? <laughs> is that what he's doing in this moment is heaping iniquities on his kids and his kids' kids and his children's children's children because the iniquities of our fathers go to the third and fourth generation unless there's repentance, <laughs> right? Unless there's repentance. I was with someone just over a week ago ministering to them. And as we invited the love of the Father, intimidation and fear came all over her. And she said that she had this, rather than this vision of peace, she had this vision of a large eye, and the, there was something of the face, uh, you know, that she could tell that was like angry and coming toward her. And I know some, some of us have more or less experience in this, you know, uh, deliverance ministry. This may sound strange to you. I'm glad to answer questions afterwards. But, you know, did you, did you read this passage this morning? This is a strange passage. I'm addressing, I'm addressing the realities of the spirit realm with us this morning because it's where we find ourselves, right? So she says this, this large eye is like coming toward her and it, it's angry and she's becoming fright, uh, fearful. And I remembered on her intake form uh, was uh, Freemasonry and her grandparents. For about 50 years, they had practiced Freemasonry. And I remembered that I connected dots that... Uh, Free, the sign of Freemasonry is the all-seeing eye. And so, um, and uh, I want to make a little pastoral disclaimer here. A lot of families have Freemasonry in their families in where, where we live. And I want to just say this. You know, I've said this to people um, when we're in ministry to people. This doesn't mean that those who practiced it were evil or had evil intent. This is the subtlety of the enemy. We have core longings, right? Like belonging, where we want to we be a part of something. And this is a society. You might not know what Freemasonry is. It's a secret society. And, but it does not espouse Jesus as Lord. And furthermore, it makes vows or word curses should anyone ever renounce Freemasonry. And as you go higher up, these things are escalated. Right? So not everybody who was in Freemasonry experienced saying all these vows or curses. But the point is that um, in her family, this had happened over decades. Um, in, in both her grandma, who was in the Eastern Star, and her grandfather, who was in Freemasonry. Anyway, she sees this eye, and I ask the spirit um, who's at attention, I ask it, um, Do you, are you connected to Freemasonry? And it said, yes. And um, I said, do you have any secrets or curses by which you can return? And the girl got a picture of a red cord, and she got a picture of a ladder. This is a condensed version of the story. You know, we were ministering for like 
what was it, three hours, Brie? <laughs> this is super condensed. But, so she got a picture of a red cord and a ladder. And I found this renunciation uh, prayer of release against Freemasonry. And I had her repeat it after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I repent of any in my bloodline, known or unknown, who have crossed the threshold into the spirit realm and into Freemasonry, including ascending the counterfeit Jacob's ladder found in the Masonic craft. I renounce the spiritual umbilical cord of Freemasonry. I sever it by the blood. I remove every Masonic grip on my life and break every bloodline curse associated with Freemasonry. And so the Lord had exposed a reality of the spirit realm, right? And we, she renounced those things in her family line, and we sent those demons away, and they have no secrets or curses by which they can return. And she's not only free because of her courage and vulnerability in coming and stepping into something unknown, but she also, and she's not part of the gospel tab. Everyone's like, who is it? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but she's not only free. She set free her family line and the generations thereafter. God chose her to bring freedom to her family line. Amen? To the third and fourth, gen to the thousandth generation, they are free from Freemasonry <laughs> and its effects. Amen? And so um, I'm not just highlighting Freemasonry. I'm highlighting that dark power is real and that Jesus' power is greater. Amen? And so seance, crystals, black magic, white magic, whatever other kind of magic, I'm putting on notice, notice that Jesus Christ's blood is greater. That Jesus' blood speaks a better word. That Jesus' power of his light is greater. And I want to tell you the rest of that story. Yeah, we can exalt Jesus. As we send that away, Jesus all by himself came and flooded her with light. And she had a vision of being held in his hands. And she said, and now he's showing me the kingdom. He's giving it to me. And she said, I receive it. I receive it. <laughs> that is what came in and replaced. And so, um, praise God, Jesus set her free. And so there's mystery in this. I don't understand all of what I just said to you <laughs> about, about the, like, the weird stuff she saw. And, but, but there is, this is real, right? This is real. And the message in it is that God's power is greater. And Joel has said it uh, to someone who... Um, has gone to, who had gone to a medium, he said, yeah, I just, I just don't um, go to any mediums who aren't Jesus. I, I just don't use any mediums that aren't Jesus. So when talking to, say, friends who aren't in Christ yet and code switching language, right, so that they understand what you're talking about, that, that's a way you can say that. Yeah, I only, I just only go through Jesus. <laughs> and um, Jesus is the mediator, right? Jesus is the greater medium. Amen. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And we want to go to the Father, right, whose arms are open wide and who speaks a better word for us of our adoption as sons and daughters, of what he wants us to do. 
And so that we know what obedience looks like in the hour of his direction, right? He's the way. When we were dead, he made us alive. When we were sinners, he died for us. Amen. He's the truth. He said, abide in my word. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I have a friend who came to Christ in prison. And he said, I never felt more free (laughs) than when I was behind those bars. My circumstances didn't change. His food didn't change. His sentencing didn't change in that prison. And maybe Saul wouldn't have got his kingdom back. But he could have been free. My friend was free, though he was behind bars, right? Jesus is the life. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I said it when we were spiritually dead. He made us alive. And he actively renews us in our spirit day by day. And he wants us, just like he wanted Saul to partner against the Amalekites, he wants us to partner with him to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And that's our call, brothers and sisters. And he gives us words that are spirit and life. I said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He speaks life to us every day. And I want to give you an example of that in terms of partnering with him in ministry. So we have a prayer ministry that is connected to the Greenhouse Network, which you may know is an association of relationships surrounding kingdom impact or missional movement uh, in the region. And so we had the opportunity, some of us in this prayer team, to go and minister in Washington to a group of hungry uh, leaders there. And um, But a few months ago, someone prophesied over the prayer ministry. They prophesied Psalm 27, 4, and 5. And um, Psalm 27, 4, and 5 is about how this one thing I ask, this one thing I'll seek, is to dwell in your house forever to gaze upon your beauty, to meditate on you, Lord. And in the day of trouble, you will hide me. You will hide me in the shelter of your sacred tent. And um, and so that's the, that's the essence of this passage. And so this was prophesied over the prayer ministry. And then when we went to Washington, the leader got up to lead the evening. And he said, I've been preparing, I've been wanting to prepare from this passage for this. He said, but every time I try to, the Lord keeps telling me to talk about Psalm 27, 4 and 5. (laughs) And he said, and I keep resisting it. And even to moments before this, I was just going to do my own thing and lead what I wanted to do. And and he said, and I turned to Psalm 27 in my Bible and I'm like, oh, okay. So he relented and read this Psalm, these two verses of Psalm 25, same two verses. And it just reminded us something of the reality that God has put an anointing on us and that what you can, what you are given by God, you can give. And that this anointing was transferring to Washington. Um, just because it's like what God wanted to do. <laughs> and we, but we got to see it and partner with his voice. And there was such joy in that. And I guess my point in bringing up that story is not only does he give us life, not only should we come to the Father through Jesus on an ongoing basis, but like we get to partner with him in ministry then. And we get to hear from him what he's putting on our lives to give away to others, right? And there's such joy 
in that. And so, when we hear his voice, let's not harden our hearts. Amen? How are you doing with this? Do you have unconfessed sin? You know, Teresa brought this up, like examining ourselves before we took the bread and the cup. But you know, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we go to him. And do you know that when we go to each other, that we are forgiven, and also the Bible says to pray for one another that we might be healed. And that those who don't confess their sins cannot prosper, the Bible says. And we, we read that in Psalm 32, right? The heaviness. It's like, man, like you hide that, it just eats away at you, right? But God wants to forgive you and wants you to be restored to right relationship, right? And so I just encourage us, as the worship set did, as communion is for us, that we are current with confession. I mentioned it in the, in the list that I put up there um, before, and I just want to encourage us to be current. If, if you, if for you, you know, like Saul, he never confessed his sins and he didn't repent. And the enemy tries to get strongholds through unconfession, ungodly beliefs, unforgiveness, right? He never forgave David. He always sought after him to murder him. He didn't believe truth. He didn't believe God was good, so he didn't turn to God. He didn't believe it was his inward issues. He believed it was David's fault, <laughs> right? Like, these are all the ways the enemy gets strongholds over us over time. And so, but there are ways we can fight these things, right? Do you have hurts that are unresolved for you? And have you felt like, I can't forgive because they aren't sorry? Or I can't forgive because I'm still hurt and I want to be honest before God? Or I can't forgive um, because I don't trust them? Or because I think it's dismissing my pain? The reality is, brothers and sisters, God wants to heal you of your pain. God is going to heal you of your pain. But let me tell you that a gateway to that is forgiveness. And forgiveness isn't earning healing from God. Forgiveness is releasing the person from the debt and releasing your heart before it forms a, a seed of bitterness. Okay? And so God wants us... So whether it's forgiving others, whether it's being forgiven, let's step into the gospel way, believing God for his power to bring us freedom. One way you know that maybe you've not been healed, maybe you've forgiven, but you've not been healed is you have this loop rehearsing in your head about a conclusion you've drawn in the story, and it might even justify your stuckness and even give you a false, uh, uh, a false victim identity, right, that you're familiar with and that you feel like, well, I'm justified in this, and yet I'm miserable and stuck because of the pain and the hurt. I just want to encourage you guys uh, on a practical note. We have counseling uh, through Christian Counselors Collaborative. We have restoration prayer ministry that can help to get to the root of these things. But you don't have to live with that narrative or that loop that's anxiety generating or, you know, that, that keeps you feeling like justified and yet also stuck. It's a trap of the enemy. And even if you've forgiven, the Lord also wants to bring healing and get at the root of that. Um, and so I just want to encourage you on a practical level in those things.
John, can you come and play? Our inheritance is freedom and wholeness. And if we're not free or whole, then I encourage us, the story's not over yet, and God has more for us. And we have the opportunity to partner with him in that, right? In getting healthy, in getting free. We all need to self-examine before God. We must humble ourselves before him, positioning ourselves to hear him in community, prayer, and mission. He favors and does not despise the humble, right? He wants to lift us up out of the pit. I just gave a number of practical ways to respond. If, if you, if there is, if you've not confessed and you're not current with sin, I just think I didn't finish that thought. I just want to encourage you to either go to a trusted friend or to a prayer minister after the service. And because God is so quick to meet us and forgive. Let's choose the path of life, not the path of destruction, right? Jesus is the path, and Jesus is the life, right? And we have the opportunity that if you're on that path of life, keep going. Keep receiving the power of the gospel. Keep partnering with him in who you really are in Christ, partnering with him in what he's called you to do. If you... Are, if you've stepped off the path in the sense, and I'm not talking about the assurance of your salvation. I'm talking about current confession stuff. I'm saying, get back on the, just turn gently to Jesus. And he's faithful and just to forgive you. If you're on a path of destruction, I just want to encourage you, as I did about Saul, that God's arm is not too short to save and it is not too late no matter what. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than what you've done. You are not what you've done. You are not what you've left undone. God is not ashamed of you. He's not rejecting you. He's not condemning you. So if anything else is, it's from the pit of hell. And I just want to encourage us to self-examine, as, as Teresa said, to take account and to choose the path of life. Amen. I've given practical ways to do that. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is worthy. We call him Lord, right? <laughs> He's worthy of our lives and these steps to take and to stay turned toward him. Let's choose Christ. He's what you're looking for. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's our everything, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen.